Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Whitley Strieber with us. Whitley is the author of best-selling books, Communion, Superstorm, and many others, The Greys. His titles, Wolfen, The Hunger, and Superstorm, were made into films. Superstorm is the day after tomorrow that he wrote with Art Bell. His fiction series, Alien Hunter, was made into sci-fi series, Hunters. And his recent books include tonight, Jesus, A New Vision. Whitley, welcome back, my friend. Hi, it's good to be back. I have to tell you, I never thought I would see a book written on Jesus from you. Tell me about this. Well, my wife Anne was very interested in Jesus, and she spent a, a lifetime of study, and I just decided to uh, to take some of that effort and make it into a book, because uh, I learned a lot from her, and... Uh, then after, oh gosh, I, I guess uh, about a year and a half ago, I came across a book about the Shroud, and I had believed that the Shroud was, was a fake, that it was made in the Middle Ages by, uh, by Leonardo da Vinci or somebody. And I was astonished to find that there had been a lot of scientific, really serious scientific research done on the Shroud uh, since uh, since the 1988 debunking right. that shows that it is something, it's really the strangest thing in the world. It's actually, the, it is, in fact, the strangest article in the world. I uh, uh, the book I was referring to was uh, by a, an author called Mark Antonacci. Yes, he's been on the show before. Yeah, well, you see, I mean, it's a. I read it very carefully, and I thought to myself, if this is true, then I want to really get into this. And Anne had always said that the story of Jesus isn't understood. She was right, I think. Yeah, she was. And so I thought to myself, okay, well, why isn't it? What have we missed? And that was the beginning of this book. That's why I started to write it. Other than the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day, not a lot of people write about him as a child. You got into that. Tell me about that. Nobody. (laughs) No. It's not just not a lot of people. There's nobody. Well, I'm... I thought to myself, if I'm going to do this, I have to read the ancient authors. I have to read the canonical Gospels, which I knew very well anyway. I mean, they've been part of my life since forever. But I then began, I began to read the Apocrypha, and I read the uh, some of the Church Fathers. I read some of the... Uh, I began to read a lot of stuff. <laughs> Eusebius, I mean, I could list a whole bunch of names that nobody would recognize. Let me put it <laughs> that way. And it, what began to emerge was that this this was no, I mean, we, we always, we're always sort of told that, well, the Gospels were written in very simple Greek, et cetera, and so forth. Well, that may be true but they happen to be among the most sophisticated documents 
from the ancient world. And one of them in particular that's part of the Apocrypha that's been pushed aside is known as the Infancy Gospel of Jesus. And it is, in fact, the most extensive document about childhood that exists from the entire ancient world. Did he do anything mystical as a child, Whitley? Well, he certainly did a few things that were mischievous. Yeah. But, but here's, here's what I found. It's basically a group of stories, essentially miracle stories, about his childhood from the age of five to the age of 12, and where he, uh, oh, he turns some clay sparrows into real birds and pushes children off of roofs and uh, then brings them back to life, and it's quite an involved story. But here's the thing. If you take the miracles out, you then have of what would sound like a group of family stories about a very brilliant, very brilliant and angry child. Angry. Angry, who was growing up in a world that did not understand him at all, that he was so far beyond them that he was extremely frustrated. And then the infancy gospel leaps to life. And you realize, wait a minute, this has been dismissed because these miracles in, the, in, the, in it are so crazy. But, but if you take away those miracles, this is, this is a really remarkable story of a little genius of extraordinary intelligence who was being stifled and frustrated by the world in which he lived. Are you spiritual now, Whitley? Have you always been? Oh, always. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I live, I try to live for the good, and I live by love, compassion, and humility as best I can. Uh, this is this is my life. I mean, I would never be any other way. Um, that's why, you know, I could have become a big celebrity. I had that choice, but I I made the choice to remain an ordinary man and to not become a big commentator on television, et cetera, and mm-hmm. so forth. And it was a very conscious choice because I I just don't think that life is life is a life I want to live. The life I want to live is a life that is devoted to a quiet pursuit of the truth and the good. We're with Whitley Strieber. His latest book is called Jesus, A New Vision, that uh, just came out. And uh, Whitley, let's talk a little bit about the soul before we get back more into the life of Jesus, because some think he he was a a magician. Uh, I don't think so, but I want to get your take on that. But what's your take on the soul? We've gone soul blind. We are blind to the soul. Even those of us who say to ourselves, I believe I have a soul, Deep down, we're blind. And what has blinded us is, is this the rise of material civilization and the huge outpouring of basically of wealth in the Western world, in the, in the developed world. Uh, and it's hard 
to remain in contact with your own soul in a world that is so fixated on what's outside of you. We're always looking outside of ourselves for the next thing. We're now we're even worse off because we're fixated on the internet. We're staring into our phones all the time. We're always looking outward. But inward, there is a much bigger world and a much more important one, and we don't look there. Uh, you have to come back into touch with your soul. And one of the things that happens to us is we say to ourselves, well, I don't want to really look at my conscience because I just don't want to go down that path. I, I'd rather just ignore that and pretend there's nothing to, to, to look at, nothing to see there. And we concentrate on the material world. I know very few people who take religion seriously. A lot of people still do, but the great majority simply don't. And if you go to Europe, it's just nobody, hardly anybody. And hmm. yet we have to all make this journey through life. And the body dies and the soul goes on. And then what do you do? What have you made of your life? You have to think about that. Do you believe in hell? Uh, you know, I am very close to my wife, who died in 2015. Yes. We wrote a book together after she died called uh, Afterlife Revolution. And I asked her that. And she sa I said, what happens to the evil? And she said, I think the most devastating thing I've ever heard. She said, nothing. Nothing? Nothing. It, it surely can't be rewarded. They, don't get, they, they are denied immortal life. What could be worse than that? That's hell, if there is a hell. The moment when you know you missed the mark forever. And it ends. That would be hell. That's a good point. Now, some some were saying that Jesus was a very clever magician. What do you think of that? Well, that's an interesting word. Uh, I use that word in the book because that's very much how Jesus was thought of in his own time. Our interpret our the the sense of that word has changed over the years. In Jesus's time, magicians. First of all, some of them, their magic worked, and we can talk about exactly why, and his certainly did. Uh, but they were reverenced. They weren't considered uh, charlatans. Some of them were considered charlatans. But the real ones were much more popular than doctors, the, the convention, conventional doctors, because the doctors, if you read the uh, Roman, the works of the Roman physician Galen, and you read some of his potions, you think, to how could anybody live through drinking that? And the answer is, they couldn't. But <laughs> the cure was very often worse than the disease. But the magician had what we now call uh, the placebo effect, and we dismiss it, oh, it's just the placebo effect. But in those days, someone who was convincing and had great author personal authority could could engage that effect very powerfully and could if 
really cause re- what we would consider miracle cures routinely. We can't do it now because we understand it. Then in those days, they didn't understand it, and so it was more powerful. And he, he, was a, he had tremendous authority and belief in himself, and he knew how to use it. So, yes, he was a magician, and no, that wasn't a, 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 a term of disrespect in those days at all. You know, it's so amazing too, Whitley, over the ages. I mean, how many people get talked about as often as Jesus does in all Nobody. ways? Nobody. Nobody. His, he, the literature on Jesus is the most extensive literature in the world. That's true. That's absolutely true. Back to the, I had a guest on uh, during the close to Easter who claims that the Jesus did not die and resurrect, but meagerly was injured and then came back, and, you know, they hightailed him out of there. Explaining away the resurrection is all well and good, and there are a million ways to do it. But the science is very clear. What happened to that garment, that shroud, is that it was irradiated by a burst of neutrons, and then it fell onto itself. There's no place those neutrons could have come from except that body. He turned into light in that tomb. That's what happened. People don't want to accept it. They don't want to look at it because then they have to look at themselves in ways we don't like to, like I was talking about earlier. But it happened. It happened. What does that tell you? Let's, let's make that great assumption. It did happen. What does that tell you about this person? Well, it can tell you one thing that I don't think we should we should dwell on, and that is it can say, well, he was a divine being and therefore different from us. I think, and this is one of the main themes of my book, that it actually tells us something about ourselves that we don't want to face and don't want to look at. This, he was not saying, I'm different from you. His whole life was about saying, I am one of you. I am one of you. That means that you have the capa- not necessarily the capacity to turn into a being of light, but certainly the capacity to preserve your soul and extend yourself into what Jesus called heaven. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.